ghosts, spooks, and spirits that wail and go bump in the night, and sometimes during the day. Believe in them or not, there's nothing like a good ghost story. They're the stuff of legend, of tales and folklore, and Ireland is full of them. A happy haunting ground, in fact. And not just for Halloween. So in this series, we're going to take a look at spectres of all shapes and sizes and hear about the where, why and how of Ireland's leading position in the haunting stakes. You could be in for some surprises. We all associate Dracula with Transylvania, yet Bram Stoker's inspiration might have been right here. It's hardly surprising. Every self-respecting castle, abbey, theatre, stately home, graveyard, jail, and especially pub, has its own spirit, from banshees to imps and poltergeists to pukas. But firstly, of course, comes the obvious question. Do you actually believe in spooks? Perhaps you take a light-hearted view. After all, ghosts shouldn't be taken too seriously. They're more to do with fun, with scary stories and atmospheric visits and outings with friends. You might be a cynic or see the financial possibilities from the other world. After all, you can get money from all sorts of spirits, whether you're drinking them or being scared by them. Properly linked with creaking floorboards and bad insulation, well, they can make history more colourful and profitable. You could, of course, take a more serious view and think that ghosts have more to do with trickery than with any treats. They can be used to play on the vulnerable, and those looking for reassurance or contact with a deceased loved one. Of course, you might have encountered a ghost, or think that you have, and are curious. Or maybe you're just curious anyway. There are too many sightings and experiences to just dismiss them out of hand. One regular question from ghost debunkers is, if they truly exist, then why, after almost a century of photography, have we never seen photographic proof? Well, the answer is we have, but many still refuse to believe the evidence. One of the earliest and most interesting photographs is the Goddard Squadron. This one was taken in 1919 on the orders of RAF squadron leader Sir Victor Goddard. He decided on a group picture. All were very surprised when it included one mechanic, Freddie Jackson, a member of the squad, who had tragically died a few days earlier from an accident with a moving propeller on an aircraft. Military groups, understandably tightly knit, and churches produce many pictures of ghosts, often unexpected. The ideal, of course, would be a clear photograph of a known ghost. Step forward, the brown lady, named for her brown brocade dress. This photograph was published in 1936 and has been called by some experts, after excluding any photographic manipulation, a genuine picture of a ghost. The subject, 
Lady Dorothy Townsend of Raynham Hall in Norfolk, had appeared several times before the photograph was taken. It is said that she haunts the hall following her unhappy marriage in the 17th century as the second wife to Lord Charles Townsend. He had a violent temper and some claim that he locked her up after her supposed infidelity. It is more likely, however, that her sister-in-law invited Dorothy Townsend down to stay, knowing full well that Townsend would never let her leave. Dorothy died in 1726 of smallpox and has been photographed on the staircase. The Amityville murders in 1974, in which a 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo gunned down his parents and siblings, inspired a famous film. In December 1975, the Lutz couple and their three children moved in with the bargain purchase of the house concerned. A priest blessed it and revealed that he felt a slap and was told to get out. Soon afterwards, doors were ripped from hinges, cabinets slammed and slime oozed from the ceiling. There were also strange odours and sound. One night the children's beds slammed up and down on the floor. Unsurprisingly, the family moved out. Maybe it wasn't such a bargain after all. However, a TV crew came down and left automatic infrared cameras running all night. The picture of a ghost boy was the result. Now, there have since been court cases over the truth of the stories around the murders and the ghostly action in the house. There have been claims of hoaxes. The photograph, however, remains. Girls in Manila is a photograph that was taken some 20 years ago and shows a happy group of young, carefree tourists who had been joined by a spectral figure. It seems you never know when a ghost is at hand. In 1987, a Mrs. Sayer thought that it would be really good fun to be photographed in a small aircraft cockpit. She was surprised to discover she had been joined there by a ghostly pilot. It is very difficult to fake a ghost picture effectively. Figure proportions have to match up. Sharp focus figures look out of place, set against soft focus backgrounds. Double exposure, that's when two photographs are taken one on top of each other, is technically hard to plan well. Ghostly feet, or lack of, can be a giveaway, as can the old trick of grease on the lens. However, a recently published picture of an Irish ghost has ticked so many boxes that it could become a classic. The photograph was taken by a dairy mother on a walk with her children in a wood near to the Brandywell and Carrigan's areas. One picture showed the children running ahead of her, laughing. When the woman opened up and studied the picture, however, she noticed an eerie figure wearing old-fashioned uniform, standing by a tree, looking over towards the camera. She also saw in another photograph taken on the walk, a man's face behind one of her children. 
The full-sized figure in the first photograph was transparent, which when added to the fact that it was perfectly in proportion to its surroundings, drew interest from the media. The photographer had said that she had not attempted to alter the picture in any way and in fact would have had no idea how to do so. A newspaper published it and the shot was also sent to local historians for some background research. The old GNR, or Great Northern Railway, from Derry to Dundalk, had run through the area in the early years of the 20th century. It's possible that the soldier was one of the many drafted in after several attacks on the lines at the time. One historian also pointed out that the ghostly figure might just be the Irish poet, Francis Ledwich. He had as his patron the 18th Earl of Dunsany Castle, near to Slane, where the family lived. Francis had served in the British Army in World War I and was killed in Belgium in 1917. It is possible that he had travelled up to Derry to see his patron. Lord Dunsany was stationed at Ebrington Barracks in the city for several years and was a very good train mate. Not only would this picture have been difficult to fake, it would also have required considerable research. Why would anyone want to insert a picture or an image of a soldier of this period? It begs the question, why go to all that trouble? Overall, this picture is hard to rule out in haunting terms. So if it isn't a fake, could this be a picture of a genuine ghost? And what is a ghost anyway? Put simply, many feel that a ghost is a spirit that has not yet had what we would call closure and cannot move on. You might be surprised at the number of varieties there are. Some ghosts emanate because they miss their loved ones and want to reassure them or warn them or maybe protect them. Others assume human form in order to right a wrong. This could be personal but could also relate to their area or their beliefs. Some ghosts become caught between two worlds, almost like they're frozen in time. They may have failed to leave human existence or cut their ties to earth, which are too strong. There are also ghostly souls who have been so traumatized by events they experienced as humans that they can only exist as spirits. Scientists, however, tend to have scant regard for ghosts. They say that sleep can predispose us to seeing them. So can a high degree of expectation. Childhood trauma could play a part, and a vivid imagination do the same. Emotionally, at some level, we may feel that ghosts mean there is life after death, and that we will see our loved ones again. But how? That is the question. The most common apparition or entity that most of us will ever encounter is an interactive ghost. This one is linked to family or a recent death. It may be visible. It may make a noise. It could emanate a scent or perfume. It could convey emotion with a hug or the sensation or memory recall, 
It could also attempt to write injustice. And when it comes to writing injustice and putting the active into interactive haunting, it's hard to surpass one James Haddock. In early 17th century Belfast, James Haddock lived with his wife, Arminella, and their young son on what was then the city outskirts of Drum Bay. When he died in 1657, he left part of his land in the area to his wife and another section to their young son. He made Daniel Davis the executor of his will. Some months after the death, Daniel Davis started to court Arminella. We leave the reason to the listener's imagination. They married and had a son of their own. Now, bear in mind that in those days, women's money was largely managed by their husbands. Davis altered the will so as to benefit his son instead of Haddock's child. Some five years later, one of the deceased man's old friends, a Francis Taverner, was riding over Drum Bridge late at night at Michaelmas, good haunting time, when his horse reared up and he saw the ghost wearing a white coat of his old pal, James Haddock. His astonishment was increased by the fact that the ghost repeated over and over that he should take Daniel Davis to court. There is something strange happening to my will. The ghost visited every night for the next month, pleading with Taverner to go to Arminella and tell her that justice must be done for their son. It then followed the confused and frightened man to Belfast, where he had fled, and told him that if he did not persuade her to right the wrong, dire consequences would follow. The confused taverner talked to his chaplain, who involved the vicar of Belfast. The three of them then visited Davis, who denied everything and refused to surrender the portion of land, which rightly belonged to Haddock's young son. Haddock's ghost then told Taverner to take the matter to court. When asked by a startled man about witnesses, he simply replied, I'll be there when called upon. Now, by this stage, the entire county and surroundings had heard of the tale. And when the case was called in Carrickfergus under Bishop Jeremy Taylor, the courtroom was packed. Blinds were drawn and proceedings began. Counsel for Davis gave Taverner a very hard time, abusing him and sneeringly suggesting that he call a witness. The usher was promptly told to call James Haddock. There were some giggles at the idea of calling a dead man and also nervous laughter. The mocking call went out a further two times. And then, very slowly, a hand, draped in a shroud, rose up from the witness box. A voice called out, Is this enough? As a thunderclap sounded. Now, that's what you call a witness statement. The crowd erupted, according to accounts. But aside from the drama and showmanship, the result was that Davis was found guilty of tampering with the will. He left the court in disgrace, 
and died shortly afterwards when his horse shied on the way home and he fell to break his neck. As for James Haddock, he reappeared to say thank you to his friend Francis Taverner. His determination and single-mindedness continue to this day. In the pretty Drumbeg churchyard where he is buried, despite the best efforts, his gravestone refuses to stand upright. Some of his family members say that it's to keep him in. The final word, however, goes to Bishop Jeremy Taylor, who deemed that the case of the ghost was true and said that he was the only ghost who ever answered a summons in a court. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. The name comes from the German language, are traditionally linked with female adolescents. They're mischievous. However, it is by no means their only style of haunting, most of which are linked to physical disturbances, from theatres to council houses, knocking items over, slamming doors, switching lights on and off. Poltergeists are noisy ghosts. They can also be troublesome spirits with individuals motivated to cause disturbance. Knocking on doors, flying objects, rattling windows are signs. Dublin's Olympia Theatre knows all about poltergeists. Lights can go on and off, stage costumes mysteriously disappear. And then there is young Charlie Parker, who has long been active in the theatre, which was once an old music hall. The bar is a favourite spot, Glasses can be thrown and coins rattled. Lights can go on and off. Poltergeists, however, can sometimes be much more destructive. In 2010, a young Cork family had to flee their council house. They put up with shaking furniture, screams at night and strange noises. But when their young son levitated and was thrown from his bed, they decided that it was time to leave. They moved to relatives, and eventually a shaman was called in. He discovered spirits, some with origins dating back to the family. Some poltergeists, however, are not easily removed. In the 19th century, an Owen Phipps inherited Seafield House in Sligo from his father. He decided to use the house as a holiday home and continued his travels. 
He was an archaeologist. He brought back many treasures and also a poltergeist. It was seen on the stairs. It broke pottery. And there were also shadowy figures who appeared laughing like maniacs. When the house appeared to actually shake on its foundations, however, Phipps decided that it was time to leave. He sold the house with a new name to the Jesuits. They also failed to dislodge the poltergeist, and it still makes its presence felt. The house is now a ruin. However, the poltergeist makes itself known very quickly to any unwary or curious visitor to what is now a shell of a house. A residual ghost is one which replays old events, usually linked to pain or fear, rather like a recording machine that has been linked to one spot. One such haunting could be said to occur at Clifton House in Belfast. It was once a workhouse. Footsteps and shadowy figures are seen to this day. Jails are also known for residual haunting. Cromlin Road Jail in Belfast has several. One is a young man who was due to be executed. He was so terrified at the thought that his sobbing could be heard by other inmates for several days. He eventually hanged himself in his cell in the days preceding the event, but his nightly weeping continues. Don't assume, however, that all residual hauntings relate to distant times. One hotspot is the unlikely site of Connolly Station in Dublin. In 2011, a security guard bravely challenged a figure. It was floating several feet off the ground and wearing a grey uniform. This happened in the early hours when the station was eerily quiet. When challenged, the ghost simply melted quietly away. However, it later emerged that in World War II, the station had been bombed by Germans and 28 people had died. Vessels can also haunt over the centuries. Ships are usually involved, although other conveyances can appear. One of the most famous ghost ship hauntings took place in Warren Point, in the beautiful Carlingford Lock. In 1833, the paddle steamer, the Lord Blaney, left Warren Point for Liverpool. Unfortunately, a collision near to the Welsh coast resulted in the steamer being scuttled on a sandbank and holed. She sank within sight of the coast with 80 passengers and 17 crew on board. The doomed vessel now famously reappears as a warning before a loss of life to shipping. A Michael G. Crawford told of one such encounter on a moonlit night in the lock. It was mirror calm and a small vapour or cloud was seen approaching his vessel. And it was an old-fashioned paddle steamer. It tossed violently the rigging flapped as if a storm was going on at the time, even though the conditions were flat calm. Suddenly it disappeared. The horrified passengers demanded a search, but there was nothing there. The Lord Blaney most famously reappeared on the 3rd of November, 1916, 
to pre-warn of a collision. It later took place between a passenger ship and a cargo vessel when the Connemara collided with the retriever at the mouth of the lock. A James Boyle alone survived. Ironically, he was a non-swimmer, but he had seen the ship late earlier that afternoon. Ghosts can sometimes appear as ectoplasms. These are dense clouds of mist or fog, or indeed sometimes the unpleasant sounding ghost slime. The apparition may move or be perfectly still. It may float several feet above ground or show itself in the form of bodies. Ectoplasms are generally found in graveyards or battlefields or anywhere with a strong historical link, such as a battle, mass death or disaster. The giant's ring outside Belfast is a Neolithic monument in the shape of a circle. An earthwork, it is said to date to 2700 BC, and it may have been used for all sorts of rites, from demon worship to ritual sacrifice. It contains five upright stones and a capstone covering a Neolithic gravesite. The giant's ring is famed for its mist, which can sweep in and completely disorientate visitors. One family emerged after five hours of wandering around in the mist, mysteriously drawn to the centre. Another group of children were trapped and terrified. The eldest child, however, had the bright idea of running straight through the mist as fast as he could, shouting, and his voice led the others to safety and a bright, warm, sunny day. Gettysburg Battlefield is one of the most haunted battle sites in history. The disastrous 1863 battle resulted in many hauntings. Sachs Covered Bridge regularly has reports of sightings of fog and mists. Culloden fought on April the 16th, 1746, and this where Bonnie Prince Charlie was defeated also experiences hauntings and apparitions in the mist on its anniversary. On July the 12th, 1691, Ockram saw the appalling slaughter of 7,000 people during the Jacobite Rebellion. And it also gives rise to reports of mists as well as harsh-rending cries. Orbs, on the other hand, are said to represent the souls of humans. They sometimes are spotted in photographs and in these modern times show up on film, video and even on security cameras. Orbs, however, can also be faked in photographs, a fact constantly pointed out by ghost debunkers. They can be transparent, they can come in all shapes and sizes, they can move at the speed of light or simply hang, shimmering. They have been seen in the Gaiety Theatre in Dublin on a security monitor, in the shape of white globes the size of lampshades, which appear to be going up and down a flight of stairs. Elementals are entities which come in two varieties. The first are native spirits or protectors, earth, air, fire and water. 
their mischief guardians, pixies, gnomes, sylphs, water sprites and salamanders. The other variety, however, has two infamous examples in Ireland. The subhuman elemental. Lep Castle, much more of which later, is the site of one, which has been described as a foul entity. More recently, however, another elemental has been noted linked to the story of Elizabeth Price. She, she was an Englishwoman who came to Ireland as part of the change in land ownership, which would create the settlers in Northern Ireland. In 1641, however, the Irish uprising unleashed bitter rage, and in County Armagh, many settlers were driven from the land. We know of this because Price contributed to what are called the depositions, legal accounts of their experiences. After a night in the bitter cold in a barn, between 170 and 100 people were offered safe passage, and Elizabeth Price bought it for her children. However, the group was then marched at Sword Point to the side of the River Ban near Portadown, and under Sword Point pushed down in the bitter cold to drown in the icy water. At twilight, some visions or spirits were seen while a male in the water. Elizabeth Price, however, saw the vision of a woman, upright, naked in the water. She had white skin and dishevelled hair and glittering eyes and closed hands. The figure stood waist high in the icy water, repeating, revenge, 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 in what were called ghastly tones. A priest, a minister, and a clergyman were brought, but the spirit would speak to none, and it appeared on and off for weeks as the violence continued. Now, it has been suggested that given the circumstances, Price was completely traumatised and imagined the ghost, but others also saw it. It's also worth remembering that Tully Castle near Enniskillen saw a siege take place, also in 1641. The tenants of the castle surrendered to attack on Christmas Eve, and the castle was burnt out on Christmas Day, with women and children inside. Their spirits are said to return each year on Christmas Day. For hardcore haunting, however, there is no doubt that a revenant is hard to match. They're named for the French word revenir to come again. Folklore has deemed them to be animated corpses, some demon-powered. They return to haunt, to seek amends, to rewrite wrongs. These souls returning from the dead have been noted from the 12th century. This was the time when corpses sallied forth from evil conduct or absconded from justice and became marooned. Revenants seem to have had a full supply of suspicious husbands. One became so possessive of his wife that he hid in the rafters of their home to catch her with her lover, falling out and killing himself in the process. The mind boggles as to what his haunting was like. 
Revenants were believed to get out of their graves at sunset and return at sunrise. The only way to dispose of them was to take out their hearts and cut their heads off before burning them. Of course, the increase in reports of revenants in the 12th century could well be linked to a scourge of the times, the plague. Back then, people did not understand the process of putrefaction. Hence, fear and panic at the increasing numbers of deaths meant that people sought solutions anywhere, and corpses seemed like a pretty good bet. The Irish certainly had their share of revenants, but England, France and Scandinavia also noted them. Still with us? Excellent. So having covered the basics, next time we look at Ireland's capital spirits in Dublin and Belfast and make a short trip to hell. Over the following weeks, you can join us to learn about the country's top haunted castles. And we'll have a look at those which you can actually stay in, if you dare. We'll take a look at the history of Irish hauntings and their influences way before Count Dracula. We'll also meet some ghost experts along the way and a few ghostbusters to explain how modern technology can help the search. Of course, we'll have a few chilling real life, if that's the phrase, ghost stories, and we'd love to hear yours. And we'll be coming right up to date with thoroughly modern haunting online. Yep, ghosts have taken to Zoom. But you don't need microphones or computers or such extrasensory powers. Join us instead. In the meantime, happy haunting.